Hi, I'm Josh Van Berkel. Welcome to the Activate Christchurch podcast. It's our privilege to share it with you. I hope you enjoy it. And if you ever find yourself in Christchurch, pop in and say hello. We'd love to see you. Hey, uh, if you're a guest with us this morning, so cool to have you here. I'm Josh, and uh, we're into a series at the moment that we're doing uh, on intimacy uh, with God. In fact, if you've been a part of the church for a while, but you joined, you know, since the start of the year, and you haven't got one of our really funky, uh, what are they, sorry? Whiskey glasses. They're not whiskey glasses, but at the end of the day, you can put whatever you want into them. I mean, that's entirely up to you. Bourbon. (laughs) Okay, Jackie. Jackie, that is the clearest I've ever heard you speak to me, like bourbon. <laughs> um, we've got a bunch of these left over, um, so come on up and, and tap me on the shoulder at the end and be like, I want one of those glasses. The idea, of course, is that you put them somewhere prominent in your house, and actually we need to take one because we had uh, Stephen Marler around the other day and they stole it. No, they didn't. They asked for it and I gave it to them. It's right. They didn't steal it. That would be a bit dodgy. But, you know, we're kind of camping on this verse this year, right? Second Chronicles... 7, 14, <laughs> you guys are scared of me, um, Second Chronicles seven fourteen. right, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, we've done humility and pray, we've done prayer, and seek my face, uh, which is intimacy, and so a couple of Sundays ago we kicked it off and uh, I talked about the fact that if you're going to go after intimacy with God, if you're going to go after building relationship with God and building connection with God, don't think for a second that you can do that for free. Don't think that you can build relationship, go after a relationship with God, and it'll cost you nothing. That's not how relationship works, right? Now, we all understand that there's nothing that we did or could ever do to earn the gift of salvation. That's a free gift that God gave us before we even knew that Jesus Christ existed, like he'd already paid the price for our sins. He made the way for us to enter into relationship with God. And the Bible is very clear that is by grace you have been saved through faith, right? But building relationship with God works in the same way that it works in the natural. If I want to build relationship with Abel, it takes time, it takes energy, it takes commitment, it takes sacrifice. Uh, in some cases, it takes money. We go out for dinner and all that kind of stuff, right? It, it's, it's just the way it works. And so if you want to build relationship with God, then I said a couple of weeks ago, just recognize that it's going to cost you something. And the question is, are you prepared to pay the price. We talked about the rich young ruler who came in, said, I'm so keen to do life with you, Jesus. And Jesus said, well, this is what it's going to cost. And he went, ah, that's too expensive. And away he went. And we never hear from him ever again. And I can't help but wonder what would have happened in that young man's life if he'd said, you know what, I am prepared to pay that price. And so want to be upfront Right from the start, intimacy with God is going to require something of you. There's a reason that we put the church fast in the intimacy season, right? Because it costs something. Fasting is difficult. And we'll talk about that, you know, once we get a little bit closer. Jared talked last Sunday about one of the biggest obstacles to intimacy with God being pride, right? Because pride makes it all about us. And one of the antidotes to pride, he used a lot of humorous examples in his sermon, you can listen to the podcast, but one of the ways that God highlights pride in your life and then removes it from your life is to ask you to act in the opposite spirit. So if pride says, I'm too important for that, that's too embarrassing, I don't want people to see me acting like that, the opposite spirit, God will often say, hey, I want you to do this, knowing that it offends our sensitivities, 
knowing that it makes us feel like, oh, I'm going to look like an idiot. And so Jared talked about flag waving and not, not that flag waving makes you look like an idiot, but he made it look like an idiot, right? Because he's waving this big pink flag around and he was doing a terrible job and someone came up and offered lessons and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, pride is a big obstacle to journeying with God and building intimacy with God. I've certainly found that you know, in my own life. I remember I was in church one Sunday and the pastor was preaching and he gave an altar call and God said really clearly, you need to go up for that altar call. And I was sitting down the back on the right-hand side. It wasn't in this church, it was another church. And I thought, okay, I'm gonna be obedient. And so I got up and I moved to the side and I walked up like this. I got about halfway up. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm going up to the altar call. He said, not like that, you're not. I said, why not? He said, I want you to go back to the back, walk up the middle. Oh, all of a sudden, it was a completely different story. I was like, but God, I was sneaking up the side. No one could see me going up. If I go up the back and walk up the middle, everyone's going to see me. He said, well, you rate yourself, don't you? Like you think everyone's going to be like, oh, there's Josh Van Burkle going up. He said, no one cares, dude. Just go down the back. So I had to go down the back and go up the front. So he's, he often will just push on that thing. And so I think it's great that Jared brought that because I think there's going to be plenty of opportunities in the next few months for you to do things or say things or put yourself in situations where you might feel, ah, this makes me feel a little bit foolish. God's all about that, I think, a lot of the time. But what I want to talk to you about this morning very briefly is what I believe to be the single biggest obstacle for building intimacy with God. I think there's a lot of things that we can get in our life that make it hard to build intimacy with God. But in my experience, this is the single biggest issue. And I think we've got a biblical precedent for it. So if you are using your Bibles, we're going to be camping in Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 3, really. But I'm going to paraphrase the story for you this morning. Um, Genesis, I think even if you have not been in church for a very long time, you will be familiar with the idea that as Christians, we believe that God created the world, God created the universe, God was kind of behind that whole thing. Different Christians have different theories around how that happened, not getting into that this morning, but God's behind it, right? And so in Genesis chapter two, the Bible tells us about how God created the earth and he created uh, you know, the planets and the sun and the stars. Well, that's Genesis chapter one, but Genesis chapter two, he gets very specific around creating Adam and creating Eve. And if there were a word that you could use to sum up Genesis chapter two, it would be the word perfect, Right, Because everything God did was perfect. The trees were perfect. The grass was the perfect shade of green. The sky was the perfect shade of blue. Adam was perfect. He had 10 abs. You know, Eve was perfect. I won't say what she had, but it was perfect. And, <laughs> oh my gosh, in trouble already. And, and, you know, the temperature was perfect. The humidity was perfect. Everything about creation was perfect. The animals were living in, in harmony with one another. It was very, you know... Like it was very Lion King-y, circle of life type stuff. I was watching it the other day with the kids. There's a scene in The Lion King when Mufasa and Simba are up on this cliff and they're looking out over the kingdom and Simba says, how does this all work? And, and he says, well, we all exist, you know, in this delicate balance. And he goes, yeah, but dad, don't we eat the antelope? As the antelope are like frolicking in front of them. And, and Mufasa goes, yes, Simba, but let me explain. When we die, our bodies become the grass and the antelope eat the grass. And so you see, we're all connected in the circle of life. And I saw it and for the first time I thought, what a load of crock. <laughs> like, like the lions are like, we get to live a long life, die peacefully at an old age, decompose, the antelopes come along and eat the grass, but we savage them alive, we hunt them, we tear them to pieces and that's totally the same thing. I'm like, man, this, for the first time I thought, this is, movie is sick. Um, 
But it wasn't like that in Genesis chapter 2, right? In Genesis chapter 2, it was the circle of life, very Lion King. It was just perfect, right? But there's this really weird verse right at the end of Genesis chapter 2, after the writer of Genesis has just unpacked how perfect everything is, what a great job God has done on everything about how everyone was living in harmony and it said to Adam and Eve, go and you're in charge of the garden and multiply and do all that kind of stuff. Uh, how many people know it's a great thing when God says to you, multiply, where you go? That's, that's a fun day. And at the end of Genesis chapter, it's in the Bible, guys, chill out, right? At the end of Genesis chapter 2, there's this verse. And it's like, what is that verse doing there? Because in verse 25, the Bible says this. It says, and the man and the woman were naked and they felt no shame. Why is that so important? Why does the Bible highlight that? Because the truth is that there's a hundred things that they felt not in the garden. They didn't feel pain. They didn't feel fear. They didn't feel, you know, uh, um, death. They didn't feel anxiety. They didn't feel worry. They didn't feel hatred. They didn't feel any number of things that the Bible says that's not important. But for some reason, it is incredibly important to God who co-authored the Bible, authored the Bible, you know, through his spirit. He said, I want you to understand that in my creation, there was no shame. That's very, very important. It's so important, I'm going to highlight it. I'm going to identify it. I'm going to isolate it. I'm going to put it right at the end of Genesis chapter two. I want you to know shame and God were not existing together in the garden. Put a pin in that. Hold that thought. We move on to Genesis chapter three. In Genesis chapter three, I mean, if perfect sums up Genesis chapter two, then the word to sum up Genesis chapter three is a four-letter word that I'm not allowed to say in church. Right or anywhere really, but especially in church, because in Genesis chapter three, it all goes to hell in the handbasket. Adam and Eve do a dumb thing. You guys know what they did, right? They ate fruit. Like how hard is it not to do that? I do it all the time. <laughs> Just don't eat the fruit, man. So many other things that they could have eaten. I mean, animals everywhere. Joking. So you guys know the story. The enemy comes along, the devil comes along in the form of a serpent and they're hanging out and God had said to Adam and Eve, you can do whatever you want, man. You can go anywhere you want. You can eat whatever you want. I got one rule. That's it. One rule. You can't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's out of bounds. Everything else, go for it, but not that one thing. Repeat it back to me, he said. The knowledge of Yep, okay, you got it. Don't touch it. And then the devil comes along and he has this conversation with Adam and Eve and he just plays with their mind, convinces them that actually this is a good idea. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter three, right, that they took the fruit, Eve took it first, and she saw that it was good to look at and pleasurable for eating, and she took a bite. She gave it to Adam, and he ate some as well. Now, I, I have a vivid imagination. I like to just put myself in the place and go, well, what would that look like? And what did they look like? And you know, how did this work? And, and I also, I like, I like writing. I like being creative. And so if I were writing this story, I would have said it something like this. I would have said, you know, the moment that Eve's teeth pierced the skin of whatever the fruit was, you know, apple or whatever it might be, the moment there was like that, you know, that sound, then all of a sudden there was a huge lightning bolt from heaven and a thundercloud and this nuclear explosion just out from where they were and the trees bent over backwards and the grass was like, whoa, and birds just flew up in the sky and, you know, and, and God said, what have you done? 
How hard is it not to eat fruit? I do it all the time, right? Like, I would have made it like this big thing because what they did was massive. When they disobeyed God and they obeyed the devil, they opened the door to every single circumstance of evil that has ever perpetuated itself on the planet since that time. Every horrible thing that you can ever think of happened because of that. Pain came in, death came in, sorrow came in, sickness came in, separation from God, everything came in. In that one moment. And I would have thought that in that one moment, there would have been some kind of cosmic, you know, sign that what they had done was horrific. I sometimes wonder, I think about this a lot too, like what heaven's like. And I think it would be interesting to go to heaven and meet all these different people. Like I'd love to meet Jesus, obviously. And, but then there's a lot of cool Old Testament people that I'd love to meet. You know, I'd love to meet Elijah and Elisha and, and Joshua and Abraham and Moses. These are cool people I'd love to meet. I wonder if Adam and Eve are a bit kind of not cool in heaven. Do you ever think that? You're kind of like walking around. You're like, who's that? They're like, oh, that's Elijah. Oh, so who's that? Moses. Oh, he parted the Red Sea. That's awesome. Who's that? Adam and Eve. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah, really? You know, they're sitting in the corner all by themselves. I reckon guys come up, you know, like, like Zephaniah or something, and he's like, hey, nice to meet you. I'm one of the prophets. I wrote a book in the Old Testament. And you're like, did you? Really? I don't know about that. They're like, no, no, I did. You know, it's, it's, right, it's right at the back, close to Malachi and Haggai. You're like, yeah, is it really? You know, I, I kind of, I think, <laughs> do you ever go to a food court and, and you're standing in a food court and you're looking at like the Chinese place and the rolled roast place and the souvlaki place and they've got like one person like this and then there's the Maccas and there's like 40 people lined up for the Maccas and I always think, ah, oh, that must be so depressing for those other people. I wonder if the minor prophets are like that in heaven. They're just like, you know, Elijah's got like a thousand people wanting to meet him and Moses and stuff and then Haggai's just like, hmm. You know, I'm, I wrote a whole book, but whatever. Anyway, <laughs> I would have done this cosmic thing like totally differently. But the Bible says this. It says they, they ate it and then their eyes were opened and they realized they were naked. Nothing happened. Like they would have thought, ah, oh, this is not a big deal. Totally got away with this. No, you know, no follow-up, no consequence they just realized they were naked. It's like they've literally unleashed hell on the planet. And all that happens is that Eve looks at Adam and goes, what's that? And Adam goes, where's yours? Like that's, that's, pretty, much, that's pretty much all that happened. And, and I don't know about you, but I think like carrying an awareness that you're nude is a good thing. How many people are glad that I have that? I'm certainly glad that you have that. So you almost you could be forgiven for thinking, well, it kind of feels like this thing's on the up and up. But we have to look at what happens next, right? Because something happened. No one noticed it. No one saw it. No one realized what had taken place in that moment. They thought they'd got away with it. But then chapter three goes on. It says, God came into the garden to walk with Adam and Eve and the, the general gist of the text is that this was a regular thing that they did. This was part of their routine. This was part of their relationship. God would come into the garden and they would hang out. They'd do life. They'd talk. They'd connect. You know, they'd have intimacy, you know, with each other. And it says that God came and he couldn't find Adam because Adam had hid. 
and he finds Adam, he says, what are you doing? And in chapter 3, verse 10, Adam makes this statement. He says, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. If you want to put that in sequential order, he was essentially saying, I hid because I was afraid, and I was afraid because I was naked. You know what's fascinating to me is that Adam doesn't even mention that he disobeyed God. His fear is not based around consequence or punishment. He doesn't say, I stuffed up God and I knew that you were going to be mad at me and so I hid. He doesn't say, I made a mistake and I did the one thing you asked me not to do and I was afraid that you would punish me for it and so I'm hiding to avoid punishment. He doesn't say that. He knows God far too well for that. What he says is, I was afraid because I was naked. What do you think the one emotion is that Adam is feeling in that moment? Shame. What's the one thing the Bible goes out of its way to clarify for us was not in the garden when God created it? Shame. Isn't it fascinating that the very first thing through the door that Adam and Eve opened, the very first thing through the door, when the devil said, okay, they've opened the door to us. I can release anything I want into the garden. First thing he said, most important, he said, I'm going to release shame in there first before anything else. Right? We know that pain didn't come first. They didn't eat the apple and then go, oh, what's the sensation in my stomach? Ah, oh. didn't happen. Death didn't come in straight away. They didn't bite it and then just drop down dead. What came in first? What was the devil's most powerful weapon? It was poison. It was shame. He brought in shame. And what we see Adam do, I'll get the band to jump up. What we see Adam do is what we all do in this situation. We see Adam make a mistake. We see him do something wrong. We see him disobey God. We see him say no when he should have said yes. Or we see him say yes when he should have said no. He does something and he knows that he's made a mistake. And then he feels guilty and he feels ashamed of who he is now. See, he hid because he was afraid, because he was naked. He didn't want God to see him the way that he was. He was embarrassed. And so he hid. And, and I don't know about you, but this is a cycle. This shame cycle is something that I find myself in constantly. Will you make a mistake and then you hide from God because you're so mortified, you're so embarrassed, you're so ashamed of what you did or what you said or how you treated that person or whatever it might be. And so you hide. I can't tell you the number of times in my life growing up, teenage years, young adult years, pre-pastor years, pastor years, where I have made mistakes and all I want to do in that moment is run as far away from God as I can. I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to come to prayer meeting. I don't want to come to church. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever, don't show your hands, you don't have to, but have you ever put yourself in a situation where you've made a mistake and, and the last thing you want to do in that space is sit down with God and connect? You just want to get as far away from Him as you can. For, and you do it, you punish yourself 
we self-disqualify ourselves from His presence for a certain period of time until we kind of feel that we've maybe done enough good things to undo the bad thing that we did or enough time has passed that we're not feeling so guilty anymore. I think the biggest obstacle to connecting with God, to building intimacy with God is shame. Because what happens in our life is exactly what happened in Adam's life. We hide. We say, God, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to walk with you today. I don't want you to see me like this. And the crazy thing is, the crazy thing is, is that they were always naked. Every day that God came and walked with them in the garden, they were naked. What I love about the story too is that you don't see God saying, hey, I'm not coming. It doesn't say Adam and Eve sinned and then they were waiting for God to show up as He did every day and He never came. That doesn't happen. God came. Their sin actually didn't break the relationship that they had with God. What broke the relationship was their response to their sin. They self-disqualified themselves from connection with God. And I love God's response too. When Adam says, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. God's first question is, who told you you were naked? In other words, Adam, where did this shame come from? Is what he's asking. Didn't come from God. And we know from the Bible that shame wasn't even in the garden. So I think we can be confident that when we make a mistake, there's a, there's a big difference between conviction and condemnation, right? There's a difference between making a mistake and God comes alongside you and says, hey, you're better than that. You can do better than that. Here's how you make it right. Come on, let's fix this. And condemnation, which comes in and says, you suck. How can you go to church tomorrow knowing what you did this week? You had better stay out of that place. You don't want anyone to see you hypocrite. That doesn't come from God. That comes from the enemy and it comes with one specific agenda and that is to get you to hide from Him. And so as we push into this intimacy series, I think we need to recognize that we all have issues in our life that make it harder for us to connect with God. And I think a lot of us, if we're honest, would say that we fall into this pattern sometimes. We make a mistake we feel bad about it. We let the shame come in and tell us, hey, you just need to create some space between you and God, between you and other Christians, between you and church. Don't go near him. Don't go near them. And it is the enemy's plan A, plan A every day. So we could wrap up this morning by just saying, hey, don't do that. You know, go home and just, just don't do that. But actually, I'd like to pray for some people. We've got some, some other prayers in the room. I might get Jean to jump up. I might get Tibor to jump up as well. Denise, Pat. And we're just going to dim the lights. Thanks, Caitlin. And we're going to sing you know, Beautiful Name again. But if you feel, and, and let me be honest, I would be up the front. In fact, I might even get someone to pray for me after I've finished praying for people. If you feel that you have struggled with shame in your life, you've carried shame in your life, if you can see that throughout your relationship with God that you have at times distanced yourself from Him because you felt so bad, so guilty about what you've done, then I want you to come up the front and we're just gonna pray for you. We're just gonna break that off. So I'll get Pat, Denise, Tibor, 
chains and jump up. Just as the song starts playing, I want you to come up to the front if you would like prayer for that. If you go, look, this is something that I can see in my life. I've dealt with this before. Then come up the front and let us pray for you because you cannot have shame and intimacy with God at the same time. The Bible says there was no shame in the garden. Can we stand to our feet this morning? If it's not you, then I just want you to engage with the worship team, engage with the worship. Reach out your hands and be praying for the people that respond this morning. But come on right now, if that's you, why don't you come to the front? And we're going to go girls with girls and guys with guys. So Tibor and Jean, we will pray for men. Pat and Denise will pray for women because there's a potential for things to come out. We want to be appropriate. Come on, there's a lot more than that. Remember we talked about being brave. We talked about being willing to look foolish. I've never met a single person that wouldn't say that there's been times when they have distanced themselves from God because they felt guilty about what they've done. So as the song is playing, why don't you just come up the front this morning?